0: When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of the light, the light of the life. Why do we light this candle? Let's respond together. This candle reminds us of the promise that a Messiah would come, bringing peace and love to the world. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah
1: 9:2. Throughout scripture, darkness represents evil and falsehood, while light represents goodness, truth, and holiness. We naturally fill our homes with light and do our best to avoid dark places where danger may linger in the shadows. Therefore, it comes as no surprise that Jesus assumes this title, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But there is more to that statement than we may first realize. Jesus illuminates our lives with his brilliance, shining into every nook and cranny. Even the revelation of hidden sin is a gift, like the fortunate early diagnosis of a deadly cancer. He reveals not only our sins, but also all that is beautiful surrounding us. He awakens our souls to see the history of redemption and the wonderful works of God all around us.
0: Those of us who believe in Jesus will go to be with him. At death, those separated from him will enter darkness and gloom, but we will live in everlasting light and joy with Jesus. This truth gives us hope because no matter how gloomy our lives may be this side of eternity, we know that our future destination is in the kingdom of light where there will be no night, no darkness, no fears, and no distress. Today we light a candle to acknowledge the promise that a Messiah would come, bringing peace and love to the world. Amen.
2: Did I come up too early? Yes, I did. <laughs> did Mark try to cover for me by keeping the microphone off? Yes, he did. Did I just keep powering right through it? Yes, I did. But no matter how much I try to mess things up, uh, the truth is the same. We light this candle to remind ourselves that the light of life has indeed come. And what a great day to celebrate that this morning uh, as we celebrate the baptism Uh, five people in our church who have been obedient uh, to the Lord in the waters of baptism. What a great day it is this morning. If you would, if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me uh, to the book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you maybe you have the Bible on your phone. Either way, you're going to want the scripture in front of you this morning. Titus chapter two. We're going to be in verses eleven to fourteen this morning. If you're looking for Titus, it's toward the end of your Bibles, toward the end of the New Testament, and just kind of look for all the books that start with T. You got your first and second Thessalonians, and your first and second Timothy's, and then you got Titus right there. And so, uh, if you would turn with me to uh, Titus, like I said, chapter two, verses eleven to fourteen. Like I said earlier, this is a great day in the life. our church. I never want to take baptism for granted because it is truly a demonstration of the greatest miracle that could ever take place. Think about the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. Uh, I love this story. It's a great story. A man who was paralyzed and uh, laying on a mat, couldn't move, and uh, found out Jesus was coming to town and he had some friends who were going to carry him to Jesus. They probably woke up that morning and thought they were going to be able to walk right to jesus and 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 he would be able to be healed and uh, he showed up at the house and that didn't happen because there was a, they just realized there were way too many people there and they couldn't get in so one of them has this uh, bright idea to uh, do something crazy I mean truly crazy we all probably have that one friend and Your friend group that you can think of that would have been the person who came up with the idea to cut a hole in the roof. And that way we can get down to see Jesus. What? Cut a hole in the roof? That's what they did. And Jesus sees them doing this. And it happens. And they lower this guy down through the hole in the roof. And Jesus sees their faith. And what does he say to the man laying on the mat? Rise up and walk. No. Not yet. What does he say first? Son, you're what? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And he turns to the people and to show them that he had the authority to do that, almost like an afterthought, he says, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. But that was an afterthought. Imagine if a paralyzed person is in our church And was healed and was able to just get up and walk. It would be amazing. And yet to Jesus, that's the secondary miracle. The primary miracle is that the man's sins were forgiven. That Jesus looked at the man and canceled the record of debt that was against him. And he was washed white as snow. Forgiven. And that same miracle... If you're following Jesus, it has taken place in your heart too. And it's the greatest miracle that can ever happen. Greater than any healing you can imagine. The greatest miracle has taken place in your heart. And in the people who were obedient in the waters of baptism this morning, they're demonstrating that that miracle had taken place in their heart. And if that miracle has taken place in your heart, and you have yet to be obedient in the waters of baptism, and making your faith public and proclaiming it to the church, I'm following Jesus... Next time around, it's time to get baptized to show that you are following Jesus. The greatest miracle is the canceling of record of debt that stood against us. What an amazing thing. What an amazing God we worship. Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent as represented by the candle that is being lit we had some candles that had kind of been half burned from last year and we were going to reuse those but i said i don't know i kind of have a tendency to preach for a long time so we don't want a candle to burn down so we got some new some fresh ones so we're good to go we're ready for advent this year now, if you're new with us this morning, what we typically do as a church is we preach through different books of the Bible, verse by verse, we walk through different books, so we've been walking through the book of James, and uh, we're about, I guess, a little over halfway through it now, and so but what we're doing is we're going to take a step back from that, and we are going to spend four weeks studying the incarnation of Jesus and our prayer is that as we go through these four weeks, we're gonna be ready to make Christmas Day a big deal because we'll be able to celebrate and worship our Messiah coming to earth. And practically speaking, the way that we're, we've done it is we purchased one of these devotionals. I plan to have one up here, and I forgot to bring it up here with this morning, so let's pretend I'm holding it. We have these devotionals that we've purchased for you called Unwrapping the Name of Jesus by a woman named Asherita Chuchu, and she is Romanian, and so I consulted with our uh, Romanian expert, Monica Salisbury, and she said I am pronouncing it right. So, uh, and she wrote this uh, Advent devotional, and so we purchased a copy, one for each family, uh, for you to go through. And as you go through uh, each week, we're going to be—I'm going to be preaching on the topic for that week, and so uh, you should have read the week one Advent Devotionals. Now, if you haven't done it yet, they're very short. They each one takes like two minutes, and so you've ha- you got time. You can catch up, and if you don't have a book yet, we, sh- we have some in the Connection Center for you, for you to grab on the way out, but hopefully you've been doing that and reading the devotionals together, because for the next four weeks, that's what we're going to be preaching So why are we doing four weeks on Christmas? Why are we doing a four-week Christmas series this year? Well, the reason is that the incarnation of Christ is just simply one of the most outstanding, astounding things that has ever happened in history, right? You got the incarnation and the resurrection. Those are the big two. And yet... Our familiarity with it can cause us sometimes to lose our awe, to lose our amazement at what exactly took place. We've all heard the story pretty much every year, right? Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably found yourself in a church on Christmas Eve hearing the story of Jesus' birth. And so it's a story that can be so familiar to us that it's easy to lose our wonder and our amazement at it. Well, we shouldn't, because it's incredible, John chapter 1, verse 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word referring to Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning with God, and Jesus was God. And verse 14 tells us, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what the word incarnation means became fleshy. Some of you are kind of language nerds out there. Maybe you hear like the Spanish word for meat, carne, kind of in there with incarnation, right? It's all from that same root, flesh, meat. Jesus in-meated himself. It's not a word. I just made it up. Jesus put on flesh and came and dwelt among us. That is unfathomable in and of itself, but it gets even more incredible because the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present God didn't just send his Son, who was in the beginning with God and who was God. Words fail us in that way, but he, he didn't just decide to become human. Jesus came in the form of a baby. A baby. This is what J.I. Packer says about the incarnation. He says, The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think of it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth. Of the incarnation. I love that. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. It's the very definition of like, you couldn't make this up if you tried. God Himself became a baby, He was in the womb. <laughs> And so the fact of the incarnation in and of itself is worth celebrating. But what we need to talk about this morning is not only just the fact of what happened, but the implications that it has for us. We celebrate the incarnation for this reason. Hope. Hope. The incarnation with it brings hope. It's a very specific kind of hope. I'm not talking about the kind of hope that... Many of you have at Christmas time, right, kids? Like, I hope Santa Claus brings me what I'm asking for. Some of you, even amazingly, Santa and Mrs. Claus made an appearance here in Tipton on Friday. I was more partial to Mrs. Claus personally. And, uh,. They were here, and maybe, uh, kids, you got to sit on Santa's lap and ask him what you wanted for Christmas, and so maybe you're hoping you're on the nice list and not the naughty list. That's not the kind of hope that we're talking about this morning. You're talking about the kind of hope that you would feel, say, if you're lost at sea for days, and you see land on the horizon. It's not a hope that just says, I hope I get rescued. It's a hope that says, rescue is coming, and it's here. So Jesus came as a baby, and with him he brought incredible hope. And in Titus chapter 2, we're going to see two ways that the birth of Jesus brings hope. First, we see in Titus chapter 2 that the incarnation fulfills our hope for a Savior. And second, we're going to see that the incarnation gives us hope for the future. So it both fulfills hope and it gives us hope. So take a look at it with me in in verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The book of Titus is written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor... That's why it's one of the pastoral epistles. It's written to a young pastor. named. what was his name? Somebody tell me the name of the pastor that the book of Titus was written to. What is it? Bill. Titus, no. Somebody said Bill. That was wrong. It's actually Titus. Good job to those of you who got it. I always like to ask questions that you're like 99% sure you know it, but there's still that 1% that maybe it's not it. I don't know why I get uh, satisfaction from that. But anyways, it's written to Titus. And the first two chapters of Titus are basically a list of instructions for different groups of people. So he has instructions for elders and teachers in the church. And then he goes through older men should behave like this, younger men should behave like this, older women should behave like this, younger women should behave like this. The first two chapters are basically lists of instruction for different populations of people until we get to verse 11 of chapter 2 where he gives the reason for all these instructions. So he's giving these instructions to the church because something has appeared. Something has made its presence known. What has appeared according to verse 11, chapter 2? Somebody say it out loud. What's ap- what has appeared? The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. And what he means when he says that, he's talking about The incarnation, the moment when the grace of God physically, tangibly came to earth. Like you could touch the grace of God when it came. Because it came in the person of Jesus. A baby lying in a manger. The grace of God has appeared this is not an offhand comment by Paul. Like he's just kind of given these lists of things. This is what you should do. Oh, by the way, the grace of God appeared. No, it's not like, you know, talking to your spouse about your day. And then, oh, by the way, you, you got a package in the mail today. No, the grace of God has appeared. We need to read this like Pastor David would read it. The grace of God has appeared, right? It's amazing. All of human history had been moving toward this very moment. This is the event that the entire Old Testament is preparing us for and pointing us to. Thousands of years producing hundreds of prophecies through dozens of different authors pointing to one man. Jesus Christ. Jesus has come. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For thousands of years, the nations were walking in darkness. The only connection that anyone on earth before Jesus had to God was through the law that God had given to his people, Israel. And by the time before Jesus came, things were not going well among the people of Israel. And there were, in fact, 400 years of silence, where they heard nothing at all. But God had not given up on his people. Imagine that, 400 years of silence. God had not given up on his people. He sent the light. Grace has appeared. So remember that, church. As a side note, remember that. Next time you're tempted to think, that God isn't working just because he's not working on your timetable, right? Tempted to doubt God's presence, to doubt that he cares. God, I, I've been praying about this for weeks and I haven't seen you move like I want you to. Guess what? The people who were walking in darkness waited for 400 years to hear anything. 400 years. Generations lived and died. But one blessed day in Bethlehem, probably not on December 25th, maybe, but probably not. We celebrate it then. The grace of God appeared. What did that grace come to do? Two things, according to Paul. The grace of God in Jesus came to both bring us salvation and to transform our lives. That's what we see in this passage. The grace of God has appeared in the incarnation, bringing salvation to all people. Bringing salvation To all people. Now, I'm sorry if you came to church this morning looking for some bad news. You're not going to get it here this morning at Rock Prairie Church. It's only good news today. Because the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. Jesus, the Word who was with God in the beginning, who was God, who became flesh and dwelt among us, who was born of a virgin, the Word came Bringing salvation, meaning offering salvation to all who believe. John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what we gather to celebrate every single week, church. I hope it never bores you. I hope you're never ready to move on to other things. This is the foundation of everything we do and everything we teach. This is what the entire Bible is pointing to. This is what the whole Old Testament was pointing to. We need the Old Testament. You know that? We wouldn't understand fully the New Testament if we didn't have the Old Testament. How could we understand Jesus is the King of Kings without the Old Testament? How could we understand that Jesus is the great high priest without the Old Testament? It's all pointing to one man. Jesus, and he's the foundation for everything we do. And this is the good news. This is the mystery of the gospel, that Jesus came to give salvation, not only to the Jewish people, but to all who believe. Every nation, tribe, and tongue freely gives salvation to everyone who believes. And the beauty of following Jesus is how personal It is, right? It's not just the set of abstract ideas. Christianity is not just a set of rules. It's not just a bunch of philosophical pondering. It's a person. What happened? Grace appeared. When? When Jesus appeared. A person came to save you. That person's name is Jesus Christ. How do you know you're saved? Someone asked you that question. How do you know you're saved? Because Jesus came. What if Jesus didn't come? And we're the most to be pitied. That's what the Apostle Paul says. All our eggs are in the Jesus basket. Jesus came, and because he came, salvation came. It's Jesus or nothing. That's why we make such a big deal about Jesus around here. He's our hope. He physically came to earth. He's holding all things together. He's the bridegroom. We are his bride. He's holding our church together. He's holding the world together. And he came and he offered salvation to all who believed. So anyone who believes can be saved. If you, this morning, have not started following Jesus, dear brother, dear sister, believe, believe and be saved and know what it feels like. To have that record of debt canceled from your account, that burden lifted from your shoulders and placed at the foot of the cross. Believe, dear friend. Jesus came to offer salvation, and he also came, according to Titus 2, to transform our lives. He didn't just offer us salvation and then say, wait there until I come back. No, he came to transform us, everything about us, starting from when we believe. Verse 12 training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I like this verse. and this verse, really, you can see very clearly two sides to the, of the coin of the way we're called to live it tells us what we're called to say no to and it tells us what we're called to say yes to, right? Which this is pretty much what we saw symbolized in the baptismal tank, right? The waters of the baptismal symbolize death. And so when somebody is lowered under the water, it symbolizes their death to the old self, to the old way of living. The old self is gone, buried, dead, Does that mean you're going to be perfect after you're baptized? No, it doesn't mean that. But what we have here is this promise of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance. It's your salvation down payment. And with the Spirit now, you have the ability to grow, to be more like Jesus, which you didn't have before. Which means really cool things are going to happen in your life. Which means Ethan McCorkle, who was brave to get up here and be baptized, now he has the Spirit. He's going to have the ability to respond with more grace when his sister intentionally tries to get on his nerves, which I've seen happen several times. Now he's got the Spirit because he's following Jesus. When you have the Spirit, you have the ability... To become more like Jesus. The grace of God through the Spirit is training us. It's teaching us to take a look at the ungodly desires that we have as a result of our fallen nature and these worldly passions that constantly bombard us. The Spirit trains us to renounce those things and say, No, that's the old self. That's the old me. I used to be attracted to those things. I used to want those things. I used to think that those things would fulfill me. And if I'm honest, I still struggle with thinking that sometimes. But I can say no now because the Spirit gives me that ability. And I can see what will actually fulfill me, which is life in Christ. Your sin should bother you. You know that? When you follow Jesus, your sin should bother you. We should never be comfortable saying, well, it doesn't matter because Jesus is just going to forgive it all. It's no big deal. Your sin is this remnant of the old self that as we follow Jesus, the Spirit is training us to put that off. And say no to these worldly passions, these ungodly desires that we have. And say yes to living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What a grace, what a blessing that we can do that now because we're following Jesus. So when somebody goes under the waters of baptism it symbolizes, I'm saying no to those things. And I'm still gonna mess up. But the Spirit's gonna help me. And we raise them to new life at saying, God following you now the spirit gives us that ability so jesus came and when he came he came to offer salvation and he came to transform our lives and that's the hope that we have the incarnation when jesus came as a baby in a manger he gives us hope he fulfilled our hope for the savior but also it's not only that finally as we close the incarnation gives us hope for the future it gives us hope For the future. Verse 13, it says this waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I love that. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this Christmas, church, we're going to do well if we remember where our hope lies. The truth of the matter is we don't have a promise of a happy ending in this life if we simply obey God and are faithful to him. It's tempting to believe that. I struggle with this. It's tempting to believe and think that if we just do the right thing and follow Jesus, he's just going to smooth out all the roads in front of us and make it easy going after that. It's not the case. We don't have that promise. In fact, how do we know that? Well, who was the most faithful one? Jesus. What did his faithfulness lead him to? Crucifixion. We don't have a promise That following Jesus will smooth out all the roads ahead. If your hope hope is in this life, you will always, ultimately, be disappointed. Doesn't mean we don't sometimes see God work in powerful ways, right? He certainly does in this life. And we see it, and we give Him glory when we see it. But there's also times when God doesn't work like We want him to. There's even times, sometimes we're just tempted to throw up our hands and be like, God, what are you doing? This makes no sense. What's happening, God? And it's in those times that we have this blessed reminder that our hope isn't in this life only, and that's a good thing. Jesus came once. And because of that, we can be sure that he's coming again. Do you see that? Because he came the first time and he promised he's coming back, we can be sure that he will. It's a guarantee. We're not promised that God's always going to work like we think he should, but we are promised that Jesus is coming back someday and he'll make all things new and all things right. And praise the Lord for that. So this Christmas, let the incarnation, the coming of Christ, remind you of your hope that was fulfilled in salvation. And let it anchor your hope, not in the present, but in the future. This is good news. For some of us, this Christmas, it's going to be a hard time. Some of you are going to experience... Some of us right here in this body are going to experience that. This year, the first time that a chair that you never dreamed wouldn't be filled on Christmas morning will sit empty. What do we do with that? Maybe this Christmas is going to be a reminder of desires that you have that you're still waiting to be fulfilled. Maybe this Christmas is just going to be a painful reminder of family members that you hoped and prayed and have come to the Lord daily asking that they would be saved, and yet they're still far from the Lord. Or any other heartache you may be facing. So what do we do with that? Where's our hope? It can't be in like the hallmark movie promise that you're going to eventually get everything you want and feel warm and fuzzy inside. That's empty, right? That's where you're placing your hope. I don't have anything to offer you this morning. But your hope doesn't lie there. Your hope is in this incredible reminder that the word who came the first time as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, well, he's coming again. And that hope is so much greater. So find yourself anchored in that hope this Christmas. A hope that says, I'm going to maybe have to walk through some hard things. hope that says, I would have never drawn up my life to look like this. And I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to keep asking that God's going to work and God's going to show me some things. And yet, no matter what happens, no matter what lies ahead, I'm going to keep my hope in the fact that Jesus is coming again and he's going to make all things right. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep Darkness on them a light has shone. Jesus came already. It already happened. He came, and when he came, he offered salvation to everyone who believed, and he promised he's not going to leave you where you're at. He's going to work on you. He's going to conform you. He's going to train you. It's going to be hard, but he's going to train you so you can be conformed to the image of Jesus. He did that when he came the first time, and he says, I'm coming again. So church, may our hope Be in that blessed assurance that Jesus is coming back. Hope in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we just stand here in awe of who you are. In awe of what you've done. You sent your son. We didn't deserve it. He lived the perfect life. We were the ones living lives that put ourselves on the throne. and Yet in your great mercy, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we thank you. We can't think of the incarnation without also thinking of the crucifixion and the resurrection that Jesus came for in the first place. We thank you that because Jesus came, not just came, but because he came to die and rose again, that now we have this incredible salvation bestowed upon us, Lord. And I pray if there's anyone in here this morning who does not believe, that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would look to today and say, I believe this was the day when I believed and repented of my sin, and placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, God. We ask that you would do that. For those of us this morning who are following Jesus, we just ask that you would anchor our hope, not in the things of this world, not in circumstances getting better, although those things can happen, but our hope, our true hope, will be in the fact that Jesus came once, and he's coming again. Thank you for the hope that brings. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.